If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in the first 19 verses. And uh, as we transition away from our Genesis study, we, uh, we've seen all throughout Genesis that there's these two paths that we can take. There is the path that leads to destruction, and there is the path that God lays out leading to salvation. And we're going to see that very clearly in the life of Paul. He was on a path that led to destruction, as we're going to see. And, but God kind of intervened in that in a mighty way and set him on a new path. And that is what we want for everybody, is for God to have an intervention in their life to set them on a new course living for him. And so I chose uh, the title of today's sermon as The Persecutor Becomes the Proclaimer. Many of your Bibles, if you look at the heading at the top of it, it will say, The Road to Damascus. And I chose not to go with The Road to Damascus for a reason that I was searching through Facebook, and I saw this picture on Facebook. I'm going to let you read it for yourself. Okay, so I didn't want there to be any confusion this morning, no confusion about what this is about, okay? I know it can be a challenging times that we live in, but we are going to get to see today how God intervened in a man's life that didn't look like he had any hope at all. So, what do we know about Saul? Well, Saul was born in a very strict Jewish home. He, uh, he, he likely was named after the first king of Israel. You know, King Saul was this mighty man. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above every other man. And so he was probably named after him, strong Jewish name. He grew up in Tarshish, which is now modern-day Turkey, close to the Syrian border. And the other thing that is extremely unique about Paul or Saul is that he was a Roman citizen, which that is a huge deal because that is what's going to allow him to take the gospel later into places that never would have gotten if he had not been a Roman citizen. And so when he was a young man, probably 13 or 14 years old, his parents sent him off to Jerusalem to learn under a man named Gamaliel, who is widely regarded as the top uh, Jewish teacher of the day. And he quickly learned, he rose to the top of his class. So he was considered the top student under the top teacher in all of Jerusalem. This guy knew the Old Testament better than anybody else. And he was a zealot, as he calls himself, for religion. A zealot for religion. The first mention of Saul, if you turn back a couple pages, is Acts chapter 7. And in, 50, in verses 58 through 60, we see him at Stephen's stoning. Remember, Stephen was a great proclaimer of the, of the word. He preached, and 3,000 people came to saving faith in Christ. Well, guess what? The Pharisees of the day, the religious leaders, didn't like that very much. And so he got questioned, and he gave a wonderful testimony about how Jesus is the way. And... They, uh, I'm going to read here from verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 58 through 60. It says, They threw him, Stephen, out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is the first mention of Saul. 
the people stoning Stephen laid their, their coats at his feet. As they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them for this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. And so a powerful testimony of Stephen that Saul was there firsthand to see. The second mention is in Acts 3 verse 8 where it says Saul was ravaging the church. In chapter 22, verse 4, it says, he says, I persecuted them to the death. In chapter 22, verse 11, he says, I, great, I was greatly enraged at them. And then he writes later in Galatians that I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. So here was a guy on a war path to snuff out Christianity at all costs, and he was protecting religion at the expense of relationships. And that is the opposite of what we believe, is it not? It is a relationship with Christ, not a religion. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, everything changed for Saul. Because of one encounter with Jesus himself, Saul would be changed forever. Saul the Great would become Paul the Small. Paul, the name Paul literally means small. And so he goes on after this encounter to write 13 of the New Testament books in a span of 17 years and took the gospel to millions and millions of people. You could argue that this is the second most influential event in all of human history apart from Jesus himself. This is a powerful testimony. And as we saw Glenn's testimony just a minute ago, all testimonies are powerful. We all have a story about how God changed us. And if you don't have that story, we're going to tell you this morning how you can get one. Paul gives his testimony twice later in Acts. Once in chapter 26 or 22 and then again in chapter 26. And we're going to be looking at these accounts this morning. And so through this conversion, we're going to see how God saves who he wants. No one is outside the reach of God. We're going to save, see how God saves how he wants. And ultimately, we're going to see that once salvation occurs, the result is the same regardless of how it happens. A life that was dead to sin before Christ now is an eternal life that will get to be spent forever in heaven with him. So I ask you this morning, have you had that encounter with the living God? Has he made himself real to you? Have you ever made that commitment of faith? Do you know him? And if you do know him, are you living your life according to the calling that he's put on all of our lives? So let, let me pray for us, and we're going to walk through this scripture. I'm not going to ask you to stand to read this morning because we do have a lot to cover, but we're going to work through this text verse by verse. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just move freely here this morning and work on the hearts and lives of all of us, God. I pray that you would speak through me so that your words are heard and not mine. God, I thank you for the way that you saved Saul. And God, help it be applicable to our lives today as only you can. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at three points this morning. Uh, number one, God pursues. Number two, God saves, and number three, God transforms. And so in verses one through four, we're going to see how God pursues Saul. Verse one, now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
And he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So if they found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here Paul caught wind that some of these Christians were getting away from Jerusalem and getting in all these other cities. And so there was a bunch of them that went up to Damascus and all the other religious leaders that were in Jerusalem were fine with it. They say, let them get out of Jerusalem. You know, as long as they're not here, let them go do their thing. But Paul was not okay with it. He wanted to chase people down, throw them in prison, and as we saw with Stephen, even unto death. And so the way that's mentioned here, that's what the Christians were called back then. They were called the way. And most of you know John 14, 6, right? Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And then in verse 3, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice how Jesus here didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Stephen? Or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Bob or Joe or Bill? He didn't say that. He said, why are you persecuting me? What does this tell us about what Jesus thinks about the church? They are inseparable. There should be no separation between love of Jesus and love of his church. The church is the bride of Christ, and you can't love Jesus and not love his church. As Christians, we should be so involved with the church, we got to kick you out of here on Sunday morning to go do something else. We should be joining. We should be members of church. It doesn't have to be this church, but it should be a church. But here we see that Jesus feels very strongly that when people persecute Christians, you are persecuting Jesus himself. In a later telling of Acts that I mentioned earlier in, in chapter 26, uh, he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what was Jesus talking about? What is a goad? Okay, so a goad back then was a, a, a long stip, stick with a very sharp point on the end of it. And it was what the farmer would use if the ox would not move. He would take that stick and he would jab it in the hind end of that animal to try and get him to move. Right, And so that, that ox would kick against it, saying, stop kicking me. All right, So that is what a goat is. I, I, I almost had an awesome object lesson that I was going to bring up here. So I, I kind of helped my grandpa on the farm, and he had cattle. And, you know, a modern-day cattle prod would be a goat, right? And we used to have this electric one that you could use when you really want to get the cow to go where you want to go. And I was going to have my father-in-law stand up here as a, as a volunteer and show you how these goads of today work, but I thought better of it. Um, but he is here today, so I thought I'd take advantage of that. But I decided against it. Next time. But here we see, what, what was he talking about in Paul's life? So the goads. You know, Jesus all along was saying, Paul, I'm trying to get your attention. Stop kicking against the goads. I'm poking you. I'm prodding you. He, and you know, he sat there and watched Stephen be stoned to death. And it said Stephen's face glowed like the sun. Jesus was right there with Stephen during that time. 
Paul saw this whole thing play out. Paul saw Stephen cry out to Jesus, don't charge them with this sin. And where do we see that again? On the cross, remember, when Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so Paul had a 150-mile trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to think about what he had seen and the countless other Christians that had the same attitude as Stephen. And so it's just a powerful picture that God is always goading us, is it not? What is he doing in your life today to get your attention? How is he goading you? And I want to challenge you to not kick against those goads. Let him reveal his plan to you. So we saw how Jesus pursued Saul. And now in point two, we're going to see how God saves. There in verse five, after he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Saul said, and this very well could be the most important question any of us ever ask in our life. Who are you, Lord? Now here, Saul did not know it was Jesus, obviously. The word Lord here means more like a mister or sir because he didn't know who it was. But the question remains, what are you gonna do when you stand in front of God and say, and he's gonna say, who am I to you? How are you gonna answer that? And then later in in the next part of verse five, he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And can you imagine what went through Paul's mind at that very moment? Everything that he probably dreamed would not, that he did not want to be real became real to him. He did not want Jesus to be the Messiah. He was so zealous for Judaism to keep religion the way it was that he was doing everything he can. And so at that very moment, everything he knew was turned upside down. Jesus said, I am the one you are persecuting. He immediately was broken and repentant. In, the, in another account, Acts 22, Paul says it like this. After Jesus said who he was, Paul says, what should I do, Lord? And this is the moment of conversion for Paul. He immediately was obedient. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we read Paul write this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so he left Jerusalem a persecutor of Christ, but he's going to enter Damascus as a believer in Christ. He went to persecute the way, but now he's part of the way. And Paul went from death to life and from darkness to light, from, a, from loving the world to loving Jesus in the snap of a finger when he had an encounter with Christ. Unbelievable. God saves who he wants to save. And everyone's conversion is different. Most of you aren't gonna be able to have a testimony like Saul's. And I kinda am glad for that because we're gonna read here in a minute. It was painful. But how about you today? Have you trusted him? Have you, have you asked the question, what should I do, Lord, as, as Saul did on that day? You know, I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. I was a pretty good kid uh, for most of my life. I never did anything too crazy. But it wasn't until later in life when I truly said, what should I do, Lord, 
And then he kind of flipped our world upside down. And I'm so thankful for it. But what is he asking of you today? Verse 6, we read, But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could, not, or he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So Jesus says, get up, Paul. And this world in the original language actually means resurrected. It's the same word for resurrection. So we see that God did a, a miracle in Saul's life. He resurrected him from death to life. And now we see Paul standing toe-to-toe with all of his sin, all of the things that he had done to persecute Christ. He had three full days to sit there and think about what he's done. Amazing. Paul writes about this in Romans 7 when he says, I am a wretched man. He says, why am I doing the things I know I shouldn't do and don't do the things I know I should do? And he talks about in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, he said, and fall short of the glory of God. He had that feeling that he knew he fell short of God's glory at that moment. So we all have things in our lives that we struggle with. No one is above sin. Love of money, status, respect, authority, lust, anger, alcohol, they're all things that all of us deal with. And it's said that Satan has a filing cabinet, a huge filing cabinet. And in that filing cabinet, there is a file with your name on it. And in that file, he can take it out and he can open up your folder. And right there, he can see exactly what you struggle with. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He can see and manipulate the very thing that he knows will make you fall. That is why we have to do what Paul says in Ephesians 6 and put on the full armor of Christ. In in 6 verses 11 through 13, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of darkness, against the spiritual forces and evil in the heavens. If you don't know Christ today, you are fighting an uphill battle because you, are, you can't put on Christ. There's only one way to battle for the, in this battle, and that is to put on Christ, as Paul did at that moment. So we saw God pursue Paul, and then we saw how God saved Paul. And now, thirdly, we're going to see God transform. Verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied, get up and go to the street called Straight, which is still a street in Damascus today, by the way. If you ever go to Israel, you can go to the the place where they felt like this meeting happened. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he is praying there. In a vision, he has, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. 
And so for the first thing from this set of verses, I want us to make sure we don't skip over, is that Paul was found praying. And this was the most religious man of the day. He knew the Old Testament. But I bet he never prayed like this before. See, before his prayers were structured, they were probably at a very specific time of day. They were probably facing in a certain direction. Let's see, west is this way. So very structured. But now he had an encounter with Christ. He had a relationship with him. He had the freedom to come at the foot of the cross at any point he wanted. And now he was praying like he had never prayed before. Do we realize that as Christians today, that we have direct access to God? Are we a people of prayer? You know, we're just coming off the heels of the 24 hours of prayer that we came alongside our main campus with. And I love that we as a church do these things. But what about daily? Are we on our knees in, a, in, in prayerful attitude, prayerfully seeking out God's will for our lives? You cannot have a relationship with somebody without communication. And I'm one of the worst ones with my wife sometimes, so she understands what I'm saying. But you cannot have a relationship without communication. Are we communicating to our Heavenly Father? And what did Ananias think about this? Can you imagine being Ananias? Let's see what he says here in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. <laughs> so Ananias is like, excuse me, God, I, I thought you said Saul from Tarsus, but you had to have been joking because there's no way that God would ever be able to save a guy as evil and wicked as him. Like, what, what was the name of the guy that you want me to go meet, God? Because I know it can't be him. But, but here's what God says to him, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, for this man is a chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So we're going to see what Ananias did here in just a minute. Man, I'm thankful for the rain. Are you guys not? It's been a month since it's rained, and our flowers out here need it bad. So thank you, Lord, for the rain. Suffering. He said, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. Did Paul suffer? <laughs> we go on to see that he was beaten, shipwrecked, and eventually imprisoned and then stoned to death at the end. He did much suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, For our momentary light afflictions is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul talks about that. Focus on the unseen. He went on to later say, To live is Christ and to die is gain. Do we have eternal perspective today? Eternity is forever. We are living in a time that is just a small sliver of eternity. I heard the analogy once that a rope, you string it from New York to L.A. on one straight rope, and you take a little Sharpie, and you go up to that rope, and you just draw a line. And that line represents your life, how long you live on this earth. 
but the rope in all actuality has no beginning and no end. We have a very short time on this earth, but what we do here determines our eternity. The choices we make here are going to determine where we go. And so in verse 17, let's see what Ananias did. Ananias went and entered the house. And he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you are traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias didn't second guess. He didn't hesitate. He went. It says Ananias went immediately. Remember back in Genesis at Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot? Lot hesitated. What did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Ananias did none of that. He went and entered the house. And then what did he do? He walked up to him and he called him brother. Can you imagine this scene at the house of Judas on the street called Straight? Paul, unable to see, on his knees in prayer. Ananias, probably scared to death of this guy, kind of peeking around the corner to see if it's really him. And he walks up to him and he says, Brother Saul. Can you imagine what that did to Paul? Brother Paul. I'm getting the names mixed up. Saul and Paul, I'm sorry. I'm just going to start calling him Paul from now on, okay? But Brother Paul, when you come into the family of Christ, you are never alone. When you are one of his sons or daughters, you never stand alone. Ananias was faithful to walk in there and call him brother. They probably hugged. That was before social distancing, okay? They probably hugged it out and cried many, many tears in that very moment. Ananias was faithful. He did exactly what God directed him to do. How about you? Are you an Ananias today? Have you felt Paul, uh, God goading you with names just randomly? God put somebody on your heart. Well, here he did it with Ananias and he went. Will you be faithful to not let opportunities slip through our fingers when we have a chance to encourage a brother or sister in Christ, to minister to somebody? God is always goading us. Act on it. Here in verse 18, we go on to read, and at once after Ananias prayed, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So just like Saul's blindness was immediate on the road to Damascus, his regaining of his sight was also immediate. And then what, what happens next? Baptism is the next step. He said, I want to get baptized, and I want everybody to know that this change is real. How about you today? Do you need to get baptized? We would love to do it. If God is... is uh, goading you in that way, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about baptism. I want to end by giving you three quick points of application. Number one, a change to, to his relationship with God. God was no longer only accessible through rituals, through a high priest. Paul, Paul's life changed dramatically on that encounter. He now had complete access to him anytime. And that is just like you and I today. When we surrender our lives to Christ, it's never the same. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, Paul writes this about his change in relationship with God. 
In verse 13, he says, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. And then he says this in verse 15, But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart, he called me by his grace... It is nothing that you or I can do on our own to attain this. It is only by the grace of God that we are able to be changed. Secondly, we see a change to his relationship with other believers. He went from persecuting people to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went from hate to love. And instead of shutting the mouths of Christians, he opened his mouth to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15, Paul writes this about proclaiming the gospel. How then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. What do your feet look like today? Are your feet beautiful in terms of the gospel message? How beautiful are the feet that go and preach? Because we see clearly here that if we don't tell people about Jesus, they won't hear. If they won't hear, they won't believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. It's how lives are transformed. So the question begs, this morning, will we go? Will we be faithful to the calling that's on our life? And thirdly, we see a change to how we relate to the world. Before, Paul fit right in. He was an intense dude. He probably wasn't somebody that you would really like to be friends with because it sounds like he was pretty gruff and disrespectful and intense, right? But he fit right in. People looked up to him in the Jewish community. They respected him. They thought he did a good job. But now we see him as what? An enemy to the world. You know, he, he can't go back home. He knows he'll probably never see his family again. He will be an outcast if he tries to do that. But we know that when we focus on what is unseen, God is going to open our eyes, both literally and figuratively. So is he calling you today to get up, like he said to Saul, to be resurrected from a life of death into a life with Jesus? Stop kicking against the goads, friends. He is calling you to something great. Are you a friend of the world, or are you a friend of Jesus? It's, it's tough because we can't have it both ways, right? We can't have one foot in and one foot out. We can't serve two masters. But we know that when we see, see this from Paul's life, that religion will never satisfy. It's only through an encounter with the living God that our lives are changed. And so if you're here today and you have never had that encounter with God, let today be that day that changes your life forever. Is he calling you to make a decision today? 
We read in John 14, 6 again that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way. And then in Acts 4, 12, it says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And then in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus clearly plays out these two paths that we've been talking about since the beginning of our Genesis study. The two paths go like this in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. But verse 14 says this, How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be one of the few, because many are going to be on the narrow gate. The path to the narrow gate is wide. It's full of sin. You know, (laughs) many years ago, if somebody would have ever said, "Don't, don't sin, it's no fun. I would have had to say, well, you're not doing it right. It's fun. But when we have that change, it's an internal change. And the things of the world grow faintly dim, right? And the things of God become more and more clear. But which path are you on? The the wide, lush, good-looking path? Or are you on this narrow, windy little gravel road that leads to life eternal? Few find it, it says. Again, Paul, in in Romans, lays out this path. Romans 3.23, we all know it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, what's that mean, falling short of the glory of God? Well, Romans 6.23, he goes on to say, The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's the best part of it all. When Paul penned these words through inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, he says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Here in just a minute, we are going to have a time of invitation And I pray that you answer the call to whatever God is doing in your life today. Don't wait. Act on it. Just like Ananias did with Paul. Ananias went. Will you join him in going today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy inspired word. We thank you for the life of Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the Apostle. God, it is a testimony of your goodness and grace for us that no one is too far gone for your love. No one is too far gone for salvation in you. And God, we pray that we would be a church that goes. We would be a church with beautiful feet that take the gospel everywhere we go. So Lord, help us. Guide us and direct us in everything that we do and say. And God, I pray that you would work in the lives and the heart of everyone sitting in here today. We lift this up in the name of Jesus.